I can't think of a better text to share on the Sabbath after Thanksgiving than this one. We read it just a moment ago. When you have eaten and are full. Hallelujah. Are you as full as you look? You look great. You look great. Anybody want to know how much America ate this Thanksgiving? Obviously, the numbers aren't all in yet. But a preliminary estimate reveals that in 2007, 272 million turkeys have been raised. And trust me, they're not for household pets. Which, by the way, does not make us the highest turkey-consuming nation on earth. I heard just this last week, Israel is the highest per capita-consuming nation on earth, for they do not eat pork, wise people. Yeah. I tried to find how many veggie turkeys were raised this last year. <laughs> Apparently, they don't raise those. You just cook them. I, I did see somebody speak. This is true. They now have a tofurkey. It's in the shape of a turkey, but it's all tofu. Is that what you had? And that's um, ah. Another popular Thanksgiving staple is cranberry production. You had cranberry, didn't you? Oh, we had cranberry. 690 million pounds of cranberry grown in the United States this year. Uh, here's another one. Pumpkins. Do you have pumpkin? Something with pumpkin in it? Yeah. You know, I never told you this, but uh, all the years that we had our kids at home and all those jack-o'-lanterns and all the pumpkins on the, on the front doorstep, We've been throwing them out in the back, just with a compost pile, throwing them out, throwing them out. This year, for the first time, a, on its own, a massive pumpkin grew right in the back corner of our yard. We got it on our front doorstep, if you want to swing by. Pumpkins this year, one billion pounds of pumpkins in America. And finally, you did have sweet potatoes, didn't you? Sweet potatoes, 1.6 billion pounds. Ladies and gentlemen, America has eaten very well this year, wouldn't you say? How much of that food did not get eaten? I.e., did it all get eaten? Nope. According to Tim Jones, professor of applied anthropology at the University of Arizona, who has spent 10 years going through American garbage. How would you like that to be your professional expertise? I heard he was interviewed on NPR. From the farm to the store to the table, nearly one half of America's food never gets eaten. $50 $50 billion worth of food every year we Americans throw away. From brown bananas, and I'm guilty of that one, to day-old rice, to cottage cheese casseroles that finally grow mold in the refrigerator. You just throw it away. When you have eaten, how does it go? When you have eaten and are full, what should our response be? Let's take, the, let's take a moment and unpack that line together. This is from our series, The Chosen. And this teaching will be entitled, An American Thanksgiving in Canaan. All right? Go to Deuteronomy 8, please, with me. Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you haven't already found it. Take your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, grab the uh, pew Bible in front of you. New King James Version. Stunning bit of uh, uh, discovery here, and I pass it on to you as well. Deuteronomy chapter 8. That would be, by the way, in our pew Bible, page 129. Remember, this is Moses' farewell address. In a few days, he'll be dead. He's led these people for 40 years through the burning sands of that wilderness wandering. And he announces to them, look, guys, I can't go with you. But when you get over into Canaan, 
When you have your thanksgiving and you have planted your gardens and you have reaped your fields and, and your tables are spread, when you push away finally from that bountifully laden repast, I want you to do this. Please don't forget it. Deuteronomy 8, verse 10, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given to you. I want you children, I want you children to remember, please. Bless Him. It has a beautiful word. That Hebrew word is barach. I love that word. Now, the NIV renders barach. Uh, consistently praise. And I think we miss a little bit in that praise rendering. It, it can mean to kneel down in worship. It's the word that appears in this favorite, uh, this is one of our favorite Thanksgiving psalms, Psalm 103. Take a look at this. Psalm 103, verse 1. In fact, let, let's, let's just read this out loud together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, And forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. When the child of God does inventory with her life. And she adds it up. Barach, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, when we gather, particularly in our first celebration here at Pioneer, when we gather, the first thing we do is we sing those words, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. When you've eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. America, I understand it, America is not a Christian nation. But we are a blessed nation. You can say that whether you're Christian or Muslim or Jew or atheist. It doesn't matter. You've got a sense that this nation of ours. I know that there are a hundred nations represented here when all the students are, are home. But you've got a sense that this nation of ours is truly blessed. I came across an, an essay, an, an easing kind of essay that appeared on the web written by a John Durr. Let me read this to you. I want to talk about America's... Bountiful blessings. The United States is undeniably the richest and most powerful nation ever on the face of the earth. All right. The gross domestic product GDP of the United States is larger than the next two biggest economies combined, which would be China and Japan. The U.S. economy outproduces the combined economies of over 47 poor nations, which account for 53% of the population of the world. These 47 nations, including China and India... But if you translate it to an individual scale, how much does that, does that income of the average American compare to the average income of the poor of the world? Listen to this. Last available statistics, 2000, the per capita income of the U.S. was 360% higher than the world's average per capita income, the CPI. The U.S. boasted a CPI of $34,100, while the average world CPI was 7410 this doesn't even give an accurate picture because the world's average includes the U.S. and the other wealthy nations of Europe. Therefore, let's look at the 56% of the world's population who comprise the world's poor. Listen to this. According to the statistics, these statistics from the World Bank, 56% of the world's population lives in extreme poverty. They survive on an income of less than $730 per year. 
which you calculate to $2 per day, half of the world's poor, who comprise 28% of the world's population, live on $1 or less a day. In comparison, the average American earns from 46 to 92 times more than the poverty-stricken, comprising over half the world's population. We are a blessed nation. Leading an author a century ago to write these words. Every now and then I go back to these words. I have them scribbled at the top of the page for uh, Revelation 13 in my Bible. I go back to these words just to be reminded. Put it on the screen for you. The Lord has done more for the United States than for any other country upon which the sun shines. Right now I'm reading uh, Nathaniel Philbrick's newest book. It's called Mayflower. If you look at the blog today in the bulletin or on our website, I refer to that book and some statistics. It's an amazing, amazing tale. And by the way, the book is not just, is, is not just getting the pilgrims to uh, Cape Cod. It's the 60 years after. It, it, it's just a phenomenal story. But I'm going to tell you, my personal, my personal response, I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, how can you deny that the hand of Almighty God has been instrumental in shaping the very heart and soul of this nation? Now I'm looking out and I see there are people here from other nations and you're, you're taking perhaps a bit of an affront to this. I am not suggesting for a moment that God has not had a hand in your nation. But I'm telling you, of all nations upon which the sun shines, there's been no nation more blessed than this one. And I, I, I don't say that with hubris either. You've got to know my heart. I was born in Japan, so I'm, not, I'm an American kid, but uh, grew up overseas. I don't say it with hubris. And I'll tell you why I don't. Because I know. I know how the story is going to suddenly pivot. And it will seem like life is going on just as usual in the good old U.S. of A. And then there will be something. There will be a, there will be a massive paradigm shift. And the ending to this nation is an ending of utter tragedy. My heart just breaks when I realize what is coming to America. I mean, I read the apocalypse. I read the prophecies. I was out jogging this uh, Thanksgiving morning, did my little, little 5K in that beautiful, uh, crisp air Thanksgiving morning. And I, I was just saying, God, you have got to. I know how the story ends, but hold off that ending as long as you can. Keep America in the hollow of your hand a little longer. It is a sad, sad ending. And maybe in the new year, you and I will examine that ending. But for now, we are a nation blessed. Surely of all nations on earth, a holiday called Thanksgiving would be appropriate. Huh? How does it go when you have eaten and are full? Then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given to you. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Now, who else am I supposed to bless? If I can't bless God, who else? Ah, Moses says, I want to put another person in play as a possibility for being blessed. Watch this. Verse 12. Lest when you've eaten and are full 
And I build beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, verse 13, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, verse 14, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, in which there were fiery serpents, don't miss next Sabbath, fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. Who fed you, verse 16, in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end, lest you say in your heart, verse 17, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. There's another person in play here. And instead of blessing God, you know what? You and I, we can resort to self-blessing. Bless me. And by the way, when you say bless me, it's not because you sneezed either. Just bless me for what I did. Self-blessing. The prevailing sin. We don't need Donald Trump to remind us this, do we? That self-blessing is the prevailing sin of this generation. I don't suppose it's unique to this generation. Obviously, once upon a time, there 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 was a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And Jesus told a parable about a rich fool. I understand that. But it is certainly the prevalent sin of our age. We flew, you know, to to Bermuda for that island-wide revival. They are just moving into elections now. The highest uh, elected official there, the equivalent of our president, is is known as the premier. He serves under the queen, you understand. But uh, they wanted him, the premier, to come. And of course, with elections just three weeks away, why would you turn down an opportunity to address a group like that? And so the premier showed up. They also invited the, the um, opposition leader in the parliament. So he was there, an old front row uh, Sabbath morning of government officials. And they invited both of these men, first the premier and then the opposition leader, to get up and uh, share a few words of greeting. And as they were giving that greeting, I was reminded, I was reminded... Of my very human tendency to always present myself in the best light possible without looking like I'm self-blessing. Let me tell you something. Politicians don't have a corner on this thing. They don't have a corner on it. Lest, verse 17, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Self-blessing. The prevailing sin of this generation, is it not? But of course. But what's so stunning about this passage is the very overt prescription that Moses offers as an antidote to our self-blessing, to our tendency, to our proclivity to self-blessing. This this stunned me, and it may be uh, surprising to you too. Take a look at this. This is verse 10, and then we left out a verse intentionally. We'll read it now, verse 11. Verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Now the verse we left out, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. You've got to remember. Moses is saying, hey guys, I'm going to be gone in just a few hours. You must remember the Lord your God. By the way, you count it. I went through with my computer program. That is his hands down most favorite phrase in all the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord your God. 282 times. It's just always there. You've got to remember the Lord your God. The Lord your God. And that doesn't include the times when he talks about the Lord our God. 282 times the Lord your God. I want you to keep him front and center. Remember. Now it says, don't forget. Let's put it in the positive. Remember. And here's what's surprising. How am I supposed to remember, Moses? How am I supposed to do it? By keeping 
Hold on. By keeping God's commandments. You believe that? Look at it. You just read it. It's there in verse 11. Now read it again. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command to you today. Isn't that amazing, ladies and gentlemen? Come on. You know what Moses is saying? Obedience. The keeping of God's commandments. Obedience is the secret to sustained gratitude. For whom you obey, you remember. Obedience is the secret to sustained gratitude. Want to keep thankful? And stay obedient to God. Stay obedient to Him. Whenever I go on a trip, I... And I'm wanting to just take a book along to read that I've read before. One of my favorites is Roland Bainton's seminal biography of Martin Luther. It's called Here I Stand. And I got the book in a paperback so I could just throw it in my computer case, as I did heading over this last weekend to Bermuda. Martin Luther. In that biography, I came upon the point that is Luther's. I'll put it on the screen for you. These are, this is Luther's point. All morality is gratitude. Isn't that amazing? All morality is gratitude. It is the irrepressible expression of thankfulness for food and raiment, for earth and sky, for the inestimable gift of redemption. Did you catch that? All morality, all morality is gratitude. Out of a grateful response to what God has done for me, of course, I want to obey Him. All morality is gratitude. Obedience, which is morality in action. Obeying the ethical cord and the, uh, the ethical norms that God has established. Obedience is the secret to sustained gratitude. Verse 11 again. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. Verse 12. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. Drop down to verse 17. That you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Self-blessing cannot occur in the life that is obediently lived. It can't occur. You just can't. How can you bless yourself when you're obeying another authority in your life? Obedience is a secret to sustained gratitude. And sustained gratitude is the antidote to self-blessing. Which means the cure for our prevailing sin. Obey. Obey, America. America, obey God. That's the cure for our self-blessing. Obedience to the Creator. Because whom you obey, you remember. And whom you remember, you love. Which, by the way, was... Just a few breaths earlier, Moses is trying to make this point. Just go back to chapter 7. Look at verse 9. Moses is making the point. Chapter 7, verse 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. I suppose that's a no-brainer. That loving God results in obeying God. Isn't it a no-brainer? If you, whom you love, you obey Which is why I obey Karen. Huh? What are you laughing at? You don't think I do? Oh, I do. Although I'm going to tell you this. (laughs) I'm going to tell you this. There are very few people that I obey. I have a character flaw. I'm telling you, this is not something to be proud of, but I'm going to tell you. I have a character flaw. I'm extremely stubborn. And I hate taking orders from anybody. 
Even my conference president. Why? I'm just, I don't know. I'm too independent. God's working on that. But I want to tell you, there are some people in my life. I call them my E.F. Hutton people. That when they speak, I listen. Do you know why I listen? Because I admire them. I respect them. I love them. So I trust them. Now, let me tell you something. They don't know I'm listening. Oh, I put up a, a, an impossible protest, an argument. But I'm listening. My, Karen, my, my wife, Karen, is one of those people. I'll play the devil's advocate with her. I will outlogic her at every turn. I will thrust debate. But I'm listening to see how well she holds this one. And when she lays out her case, notice I didn't say when she lays down the law. When, when she lays out her case, I say, all right. You made your point. I'll do it. I'll do it. Why? Because she's someone I respect and admire and love. Because I know her mind and her heart. I can trust her command. That's why. I know her mind and I know her heart. Jesus says, do you know my mind? Do you know my heart? John fourteen fifteen. if you love me, if you really love me, you will keep my commandments. You will. America. If you really love me, some of you think this is a Christian nation. It is not, but you think it is. Fine. Keep his commandments, America. Keep his commandments. If you love me, Jesus says, keep his commandments. Moses comes along, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. He says, remember God by keeping his commandments. Now, ladies and gentlemen, neither Christ nor Moses is appealing for legalism. Rather, both have bound together the spirit of loving gratitude with the spirit of grateful obedience. They're, they're overlaid. You can't separate them. They have to go together. Because whom you gratefully obey, you will faithfully remember. And the God you faithfully remember is the God you will gratefully obey. Luther is absolutely right. All morality is gratitude. It's gratitude. And it is that appeal that is woven from stem to stern throughout the book of Deuteronomy. You know why? Because Deuteronomy is written for the chosen. And when you've been chosen, when you have been chosen... The God who went to all the work of choosing you says, now, follow me. I have done this for you. Now you, follow me. When you get into the land of Canaan and your tables are full and you push away, you bless the Lord your God and beware, beware that you do not forget Him by not Keeping His commandments. All morality is gratitude. Which is why, more than anyone else on earth, the chosen have been called to obey. More than anybody else on earth. If I read my apocalypse correctly, just before the return of Christ, the chosen are described this way. Revelation fourteen twelve. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. If you love me, if you love me, you obey me.
Here is the patience of the chosen, the endurance of the chosen. I have Christian friends who say, you know what? I don't have to obey God. His commandments are no longer binding to me. I've been set free. Oh, my friend, are you serious? That is mistaken thinking to conclude that divine grace has somehow released you from human obedience. How could it be? It's impossible. It is utterly illogical. Because the reverse is just as true. Whom you disobey, you do not truly love. The chosen do not have the option. They do not have the option. They are called to obey. Moses and Jesus and Luther are more than clear. Whom you love, you obey. And all morality, all obedience is gratitude. All of it. Grateful response. Not legalism. It's gratitude. Which is why when we bow, you and I, before the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, how can we not help but be moved to grateful obedience? Do you understand that everything you ate on Thursday and every possession you still hold on to today, all of it has been purchased by Calvary. Do you understand that? Let me put it on the screen. This classic line from Desire of Ages. Page 660. To the death of Christ we owe even this earthly life. The bread we eat, I love this, the bread we eat is a purchase of His broken body. The water we drink is bought by His spilled blood. Never one saint or sinner eats His daily food, but He is nourished by the body and the blood of Christ. The cross of Calvary is stamped on every loaf. It is reflected in every water spring. End quote. Wow. To the death of Christ we owe our all, which is why all morality is gratitude. We owe it all. And which is why obedience is still its secret. Hey, you want, to live, you want to live with a grateful life long past Thanksgiving this year? Then obey Him. Obey Him. Obey His commandments. For it is true. Obedience is the secret to sustained gratitude. Let us pray. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God. O Lord our God, teach us to be thankful by helping us to be obedient through Jesus Christ our Lord, whom to love is to obey. Amen.